0: Resuming debate.
1: Resuming debate. Uh, Resuming debate. Hi, everyone. Welcome back after a longer than uh, intended hiatus to another new episode of Resuming Debate. Uh, We've talked often about the situation in Ukraine, and uh, this is this is important to me, important to many Canadians, and I think important to uh, the, the global uh, battle for freedom and security. Today, we're bringing you a two-part episode on the situation uh, in Ukraine with a focus on two topics that have been uh, actively discussed recently in the Canadian Parliament. One of those topics is the abduction of Ukrainian children uh, from Russian-occupied parts of Ukraine uh, this is an issue that was is currently being studied by the Subcommittee on International Human Rights. Uh, so the, for the first half hour, I'm going to be joined by Mikola Kaluba, uh, who is the CEO of Save Ukraine, uh, someone who is intimately involved in, in combating this issue of child abduction. And then in the second half hour, we're going to talk about the uh, updated Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement uh, and some of the, the issues and challenges there. And I'll be joined by Conservative Shadow Minister for International Trade, Kyle Seaback. So we'll be talking in the first half about child abduction, in the second half about free trade, but both important issues uh, in uh, the Canada-Ukraine relationship. So uh, for the moment, uh, very pleased uh, that uh, Mykola Kaluba, uh, CEO of Save Ukraine, uh, former Ombudsman for Children with the President of Ukraine, is joining us to talk. Talk about uh, really um, this this horrifying situation of uh, of child abduction abduction. Mykola, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for your invitation.
1: So I think many Canadians are actually not aware uh, yet uh, that child abduction is happening at all. So could you just start with the um, the the basic description of the reality? what's happening, what kind of numbers, in what circumstances are children being abducted by the Russian Federation?
2: Yeah, it is a very important issue because not many countries, many people talking about Ukrainian children issues uh, during this war. But if we will go back to 2014, when this war started, and when uh, Russia invaded and uh, grabbed uh, Donbass and Crimea, it was almost one million children on that occupied territories and how many of them was deported were deported to Russia Federation? We have no idea because that time Russia staged all that oh it's a it's internal conflict we are not there. Yeah, And it was so tricky for us that time of being children's ombudsman and we tried to find any information. But it was really hard because Russia was not reporting uh, about this. But after, right after um, full-scale invasion, we could see how Putin's uh, commissioner of children's rights, Maria Belova Belova, who received warrant order from international criminal court, she, uh, she took kids from occupied territories. She brought them to Russia Federation, especially from Mariupol. Uh, she were bravely reporting that oh we we uh, we brought we brought hundreds of uh, children from Ukraine. And if you wanna adopt these kids, please connect with us. And then Krasnodar's cry. Uh, um, uh, local authorities were reporting that they have 500 children who could be easily adopted in their database, and let's uh, uh, and welcome uh, Russians to to take these kids. And after after this warrant order happened with her and Putin, they cleaned, they took of information you can find she was reporting or maybe 8 months ago she was reporting that more than 700,000 Ukrainian children was registered in Russia Federation it is Ukrainian children after full scale invasion but it was her press briefing and she told that I will not give any information about these children to uh, Ukraine because I think Ukraine is the aggressor. What is what is lie? <laughs> because everybody knows that Russia aggressor, Russia invaded us. Russia is deporting, forcibly deporting and abducting these children. But for us, for now, it's a huge issue to find Ukrainian children in Russia, to identify them, to know how many of them are orphans, to know how many of them are unaccompanied, to know where are their parents, to know how many of their parents were killed to know whether you live, in what condition of life, to know how many of them are dreaming to return to Ukraine. It's a lot of questions to to Russia state, uh, where are our kids? And what is important? We have no idea how many of them from from 2014, how many of them received russian citizenship my est- estimation that minimum 1.5 million ukrainian children stays in russia or on occupied territory under the russians wh- which is a huge risk and um, i think we lost many of them because many of them know adults for the last 10 years they adults now young adults many of them fighting as a russian soldiers against ukraine and this is genocidal policy of russian state uh,
1: that's that's very chilling um why is russia doing this what what are they trying to achieve through this uh, this child abduction policy which which we've been told that the committee uh, goes right up to the uh, to, to Putin himself in terms of, of involvement and direction.
2: You know, we have to answer through our history, because I was a child of Soviet Union. I was born in Soviet Union, but on Ukrainian territory, I'm Ukrainian. My I have my Ukrainian identity, but what I learned from from Russian, being in Soviet Union, that I'm like. Part of Russia Empire, of Soviet Union, I should be proud for to be in such a great country. And uh, if I want identify myself as Ukrainian, it's like very bad. It's it's like a village boy, and uh, they. Uh, discri- discriminated that Ukrainians who tried identify themselves as Ukrainians. That, that, that's why for the last 100 years, what happened after Russia 100 years ago invaded us, invaded these territories, and millions of people were uh, deported. Millions of people were d- died through Holodomor. Uh, millions were killed uh, or imprisoned what, it, it is what Russian did here and through the brainwashing kids they convert Ukrainian children being uh, Russian children and even in Canada or in United States can you remember what happened 20 years ago when you tell I am Ukrainian people think oh you are Russian no I am Ukrainian Oh, no, you are Russian because it's one, one country. It's a Russia. But what happened now when you will tell in any country that I'm Ukrainian, people understand that. Oh, yeah, it's Ukraine. We know Ukraine. Yeah, it happened during last 20 years and the Russian state policy is the same. What happened 50 years ago, 80 years ago, just to destroy Ukrainian identity. That's why. They cannot easily, they want, they want. If you read uh, uh, Russian uh, social media, you can find a lot of uh, information there. It's better to kill these children because Ukrainian children, it's a Nazi. We have to clean this territory. We have to destroy and we have to kill all population there. Uh, but it's impossible because we understand that uh if putin will kill all population will kill children whole the world will stand and fight because it's impossible for now but for him for russian state it's much easier to abduct these children and brainwash them in, and instill hatred towards ukraine uh, it is a strategy yeah to to occupy territories to deport uh, or abduct these children, to brainwash them, to instill hatred towards Ukraine and use in future these children as a weapon against Ukraine. And if you ask now that Russian soldiers who've been Ukrainian children on occupied territories nine years ago, but this is young adults who fighting against Ukraine as the Russian soldiers, if you ask them why, they will answer. Because I'm fighting against Nazi. I'm fighting against NATO. Because if we will not invade them, they will grab us. They planned to invade Russia. They believe in this poison, Russian propaganda poison. Yeah, they were poisoning of this propaganda and they all live in this bubble, Russian propaganda bubble, and it's very hard to return them. But we know this from kids who've been returned by Save Ukraine, because we provide rescue mission and returning children from Russia and occupied territories, and children telling us their stories. they telling us how they've been brainwashed in Russia, or even unoccupied territory, but it doesn't matter where is it, because on occupied territories, the same legislation, the same rule, the same propaganda, the same poison, and they were threatened, and they were forced to sing Russian anthem, they were forced to go to Russian school on, it's, on occupied territories, they were forced to learn Russian subjects, speaks Russian, they were forced to glorify Russia Empire. It, it happened now.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I want to I want to come back to specifically your experience rescuing children and interacting with children who have been through through this. But I guess one more question, framing it first of all, um, I think your description of the agenda that the Putin regime has in this context is is very important because when most people think of genocide. Uh, they think of what what is one example of genocide, which is an uh, which is the the efforts at physical extermination of a people uh, but the international legal definition of genocide includes uh removing children from a group and, and the reason for that is is because when when one actor tries to destroy a whole people group uh sometimes they do it uh by uh direct Killing and other times they do it by stealing people away and forcibly uh, alienating them from their culture. Uh, and, and so our description of this invasion of as genocidal is, is very important. It's not just about, uh, land or, or borders. Those things are important, but it's about erasing Ukrainian identity. Uh, and that's done, uh, in, in many cases by, by the targeted killing of civilians. um, But it's also done by stealing children, by stealing people away. uh, And this this should underline a a finding of genocide by the international community. Um, Do do you agree with that, that that the the genocide word is? Yeah,
2: Yeah. I totally agree. And my message to international community was the same. Guys, we learned from World War II that genocide is when somebody like hitler massively killed uh, Jews or killed children parents it was uh, it was happened there and after that whole the world defined this as a genocide oh a genocide when somebody massively kill uh, people and now when somebody like russian yeah massively kill Or destroy Ukrainian identity. And for many reasons. First of all, Russia won destroy Ukraine. Yeah, it's it's, uh, to destroy Ukraine, it means they should destroy identity. Yeah, and in different ways, they could do it different ways. When they invaded or occupied territories, they can brainwash these people and give them Russian, Russian citizenship. And in as I told you, instill hatred towards uh, their own nation, erase their identity and uh, and for that, uh, the children and families who were fleeing the war abroad and live in Poland, Germany, even Canada, many of them in in years, they will receive Canadian citizenship, and many of them, Will express concern what happened in Ukraine, but they will receive Canadian citizenship. they will be Canadians, yeah, they will be a part of huge Ukrainian diaspora in canada they will but they will not leave and rebuild this country and now, fifty percent of our children abroad, twenty percent of them in Russia. And we are, we are losing them every day because more and more of them, uh, they hate Ukraine, they receive Russian citizenship, and they will build their life in Russia. And many of them, 30% of Ukrainian children live abroad, in, in European country, in Canada, or in United States, and we are losing them too because many of them will never come back to Ukraine. And it is a Putin's plan. We never planned this. A, a, a Ukraine never planned this. We we're really planning to build our country, to reflu- mm-hmm. refru- flourish our country. But because the war, we understand that many parents with their kids were fleeing abroad. And uh, about genocide, it's a new phenomena. It is. It was my question to United Nations. It was my question to different governments of different countries, guys, please, okay, I understand that genocide for you it's when somebody massively kill this group of people of this nation, but if it it is not killing physically somebody, but if these more than one million Ukrainian children were Forcibly deported or abducted And they've been brainwashed And they lost They lost Ukrainian identity And received Russian identity Through this How we can define this How we can call this What is this Tell me, if not genocide Can you please To create a definition of this Yeah, Mm -hmm. because for me It's a pure genocide But if you can't find definition, but you have to find, you have to call this because if not genocide, what is this? Tell me because they lost, they, they lost their identity was erased. They lost Ukrainian identity. What is this? Yeah, I I agree. I, I will say about
1: the community that comes to Canada. I mean, they uh, obviously they're not they're not in Ukraine, but I think very much preserving their sense of being part of the Ukrainian nation. Yes. And uh, you know, so it's um and and in, in Canada we've got a, a great history in, in my writing going back over a hundred years of Ukrainian diaspora that um, that has remained remarkably connected because they they. Because in a multicultural society, people are preserving their their identity and they want to invest back. Whereas, um, you know, in, in cases where there's the the eradication of identity, obviously it's um, you know, it's, uh, it's sorry,
2: horrible. sorry, you're right. I'm so grateful, Canadian government and Canada and Ukrainian diaspora, who help uh di- displace external displace Ukrainians to survive there it's so important to preserve them and we believe when war will stop they will be able to come back but yeah. nobody knows when war will stop
1: yeah you don't know and and and, and so some will some will remain behind but likely as as proud ukrainian canadians who will send money who will uh yeah. um, you know uh vo- volunteer in various ways and this has been the 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 history. I, I want to now switch gears a little bit and drill into your experience with these these children directly. You're doing this incredible work, actually rescuing children, uh, and some of them. Uh, we're not just talking about. You know, a, a short period of abduction. We're talking about children that have been away from their families or culture for longer periods of time, if I understand correctly. So it, it must be very harrowing work for you and, and for them as they uh, have kind of gone through this process of, of pressured enculturation and then uh, trying to restore where they were prior to that. Tell us a bit about your experience dealing with these children.
2: Yeah, we started our rescue missions more than one year ago when uh, our uh, military forces liberated uh, territories of Ukraine who have been occupied. Uh, and we recognized this many our kids have been stolen, been abducted. And uh, we immediately started our rescue missions and we returned more and more children from uh from Russia and the uh, uh, occupied territories, and now this is more than two hundred children who've been returned and our strategy is uh, we are searching these kids through the different sources from we have a hotline, we have a social media, many people reporting us that they know or relatives. They're asking us to find a child or to return a child, and they know where the child are. And uh, second step, we are returning. We have built like underground railroad to return these kids uh, from Russia and occupied territories. I can not tell you a lot about this because it's confidential. It's a huge risk for that people who provide this. And after we return a child, we have a program uh, that child who have relatives after reunification with the relatives, they can live in our hope and healing center. It is a special program, six months living program. We provide trauma therapy, art therapy, legal support, psychosocial support. They can physically live in our uh, facility and we provide Different kind of support for for these families, but for orphans, we have a special program, uh, special center. We provide support for orphans, and we find uh, families of uh, we we find Ukrainian foster families and families who are ready to adopt these kids, and we place these children to Ukrainian families, and then it is of course a stage is integration. After our programs, uh, like for example, our uh, community centers program, it's education and empowerment community centers. Every day, children can attend our program, our center, and we have the programming there. We have education, we have trauma therapy, and we work with the parents, their parents. And we have 16 centers all over ukraine like this and uh, and first of all i want to thank uh that people who provide support you can easily find save ukraine ua our website and support us to rescue return and uh, recover more children because we have continuous rescue mission and returning kids But we need that people who are ready to support us to return more children. But after we return a child, we are working with the law enforcement. We, we, We are working with Ukrainian law enforcement to document this crime. We are working with the International Criminal Court to give them information because we believe in future Putin will stand in tribunal. And will be punished for these war crimes. But from our kids who've been returned, we learn a lot. How Russians brainwashed them. How they went, have been threatened. How Russians give them and force them to receive Russian citizenship. Birth certificates. They have a special governmental program to give them financial support. Just to leave them in Russia. Just to send them to Russian military schools, to a special intelligence university, just to prepare them for future war. Because after brain wars, these children, Ukrainian children, could be easily, easily used as soldiers, not only against Ukraine, but to be used in different conflicts. In different countries, as we know, Russia is aggressor. They are they are in conflict in different countries, in different areas. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, just to drill down to what you said, you alluded to a distinction there between orphans and children who have parents and families. We haven't really talked about this yet, but from what I understand, kind of the first step of child abduction was the was the clearing out of of orphanages taking taking kids that were in foster care and then but then there was also a process where kids were were who who had families and had parents who were nonetheless taken so i suppose the reintegration process is very different depending on depending on which of these these avenues we're talking about
2: yeah it's repatriation process is different we are carefully building a route and all processes because it's um it's a hard very hard to to return any orphan uh, because we have to find official representative or relatives who are ready to be a guardian uh, of these children and then to provide our rescue mission with these relatives but for children who have relatives they Uh, it's not easy too, because we, it's like a special operation we should provide to return, because Russian blocking any rescues, any rescues. They, all these cases on the control, uh, of uh, Maria Lvova Bilova office. If any person want to take child back to Ukraine, they, they should go through the hell. Really, it's so hard. We have relatives who went through uh, interrogation by hours. It could be two or three days of interrogation by FSB. And even they had to go through light detection. Uh, even some, sometimes they have to ge- have uh, DNA tests. Uh, and just to prove that they're relatives with all documents for this child. That's why we understand that Russian, Russia want to hide these children, want to leave all of these children, just not to give them any opportunity to escape. And uh, we just re- return a child, uh, 14 years old boy, who told us that when he was sitting in the facility, uh, Russian did not allow him come go back home where he has relatives, but they forced him to receive birth certificate first. And can you imagine when Russian gave him this birth certificate, he, he cut for pieces this birth certificate and they, gave, they he was punished three times. He was placed to a special room without the windows for one week. He was sitting there as a punishment. And next time they received uh, this birth certificate, but they didn't give him this birth certificate, but they showed uh, we have your Russian uh, birth certificate, but we put in your folder and later we will give it to you. And they then they forced him to receive a Russian passport. And he didn't want because he wanted come back to Ukraine. And we help him escape. Now he is in our center. And tomorrow we have a statement in Canadian parliament. Uh, and we these children, not only me, but these kids... Will be witness of uh, war crimes. What happened with them? How they've been abducted? What they experience in Russia or in occupied territories, and how they've been returned? And what Russia doing? What what kind of war crimes they doing, and why it is genocide? Indeed. So, uh,
1: just for our listeners, we are recording this, uh, a day before. We're recording this on Monday. So, uh, Tuesday, uh, we will be, uh, having these hearings that you mentioned at the Subcommittee on International Human Rights. Which we'll, we'll be hearing directly from children. Uh, I believe by the time we release this episode, those hearings will have already happened though. So people, uh, who are, if, if you're listening to this episode, uh, you can go to my, uh, my Facebook page where we'll be live, where we'll have live streamed mm-hmm. it, uh, and we'll post the appropriate, uh, links. Um, we are, we are almost out of time for this, this first segment. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're, you're, you're so busy with, with the important work you're doing. I, I want to just conclude by asking you to, to directly share with our our listeners with a predominantly Canadian audience. Uh, What can people do to support your work? You mentioned uh, going to your website, direct financial support. Uh, for me, this also this issue just underlines the importance of Ukrainian victory. Um, you, you, Ukraine needs to be able to liberate its territory uh, because territory is not just about land. It's about people. It's it's about liberating uh, not just the land, but also the people. Um, so so supporting your work directly, supporting Ukrainian victory. I know there's the ongoing uh, um, uh, there's there's been the indictments at the ICC. So the ongoing ongoing collection of, of evidence in the pursuit of justice uh what other steps uh, do you think what other messages would you like to leave with with our audience about ways that they can help and what they need to do
2: thank you so much it, it is so important not to stop we asking people because we experiencing that it's a huge fatigue and people tired from what happened in ukraine it was a lot of news about it but now all news about israel palestine and we understand that ukraine is far away but we want to be in your hearts we want to feel this encouragement from you and uh, you can you can help us in different ways and many people come uh, to volunteering in our programs and help kids in, in our centers. Um, if you work for, for the government, you can support us to, to make a push on the Russia to give us information about Ukrainian children who have been abducted. Uh, you can help us different ways. Uh, but what Save Ukraine is doing, we are rescuing children, we restore their life and rebuild their life. That's why you can support us in our activities. And uh, I have personally, me, I have experience uh, in child protection 25 years, seven of them on the highest position as a commissioner on children's rights with two two presidents, Zelensky and Poroshenko. And I know how hard for our government to protect children's rights, to return these kids and to fight against aggressor. That's why any kind of support for Ukraine valued for us. We really need you. We really need support and any word could be so encouraged for us. That's why and pray, please, for that people uh, who can pray, pray for us. It's so important for us too. Yeah, any kind of support, E or you can pray, or you can give us donation, or you can support us in any floors, in any meetings, just to remind us, in Ukraine, active war, and many children dying and suffer. Many children have been kidnapped, and now suffering Russia. It will be great support for us.
1: Thank you so much. William Wilberforce said that uh, you may choose to look away, but you may never again say that you did not know. So now we know. I hope we act. Uh, thank you for your testimony today. And um, uh, listeners, will have we'll have a whole bunch of links in the in the notes associated with this. Episode episode uh, so that you can uh you can find out more about this work uh, you can check out the hearings that that will have happened in Canada's parliament by the time uh we go live and stay tuned uh next for the second segment which is our conversation with Kyle Seeback about uh the proposed new Canada Ukraine free trade deal <laughs> Right. well welcome back uh, for part two of this episode we're looking at what's uh, being discussed in parliament right now in particular around the issue of ukraine support for ukraine uh, and uh, i'm very pleased as mentioned that we have kyle Seaback, conservative shadow minister for international development uh, to talk about the canada ukraine free trade agreement uh, kyle thank you for joining us and uh, and just maybe a bit of of context um we we already have a free trade deal with ukraine uh, this was negotiated under the previous conservative government, uh, but it was ratified once liberals were in power, because these things take some time. Uh, now we have another free trade deal. What's the relationship between the first and the second one? We already have free trade with Ukraine, of course. Yeah, we, we already have a free trade
0: deal with Ukraine that you're correct that was negotiated by the, the Harper government and concluded by the current government. Uh, and it's a, it's a fulsome trade agreement that you know, covers a very broad section of the of the Canadian economy, mostly
1: focused on merchandise trade. Okay, uh, so that's the version one. And then, what is different about? Uh, Version two, if you like. So, I mean, there's a lot of difference. There's uh, there's some new chapters that go into the
0: trade agreement. Um, that there's a new chapter on on labor. There's a new chapter on uh, investment. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff in there. Updated investor protection, that kind of stuff. But um, what's really sort of caught my attention, uh, and uh, what's caught a lot of people's attention, is the things that they've put in a trade deal that have never been in a trade deal before and a whole bunch of things that they did not put into the trade deal that actually would have been hugely beneficial to both uh, Canada and to Ukraine. These are the two sort of stark things that stand out in my mind when I look at this uh, this updated agreement. Mm-hmm.
1: So you have you have concerns about the free trade deal? Because I think in the media discussion, right, on face of it, most people are going to hear – ukraine and they're going to hear free trade and their initial impressions are going to be informed based on how they feel about ukraine and how they feel about free trade but I, I guess what you're getting at is there's some details underneath those those two concepts that that of course our party and i think most Canadians support there's some details underneath that 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 Actually, complicate the the first impressions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, everyone. You know, all conservatives. You know, we support Ukraine. We support free trade. We are the party of free trade, and we certainly support free trade with Ukraine. But as my law professor used to tell me, uh, the devil is in the details. And when you look at the details of this trade agreement, uh, the first thing that's going to jump out at you uh, is that they've included a carbon tax in a trade agreement, and this is really shocking. So this has never been done before by Canada in the negotiation of any free trade agreement. If you look at uh, CPTPP, uh, if you look at CETA, which is free trade with the European Union, or if you look at the newly renegotiated, remember, we only renegotiated CUSMA uh, with the United States a few short years ago, there is no mention of a carbon tax or carbon pricing in any of those agreements. And yet, what this Liberal government has chosen to do is to put in a section that talks about pricing carbon and carbon leakage now those are two different things but they both have very uh, serious definitions and very serious consequences for this trade agreement so i'm i'm actually shocked that the, for the first time ever the liberal government would decide to put a carbon tax in a trade agreement with a country
1: that's in the middle of a war right so let's let's um, dig into a few of those things um you mentioned that this is a new provision, um, but my impression also is that this is part of a certain trajectory in terms of the way the prime minister thinks about about trade. And um, you know, just trying to be fair to describe that, right? Um, historically, when we spoke about trade, it was it was just about the exchange of goods and services. It's about facilitating the exchange of goods and services, um, and then. Maybe there was a a legitimate recognition that, okay, if you're having commerce, you need to have certain minimum standards protection for human rights in the context of commerce because you don't want to have uh, exploitation of workers giving you a competitive advantage across borders. Um, That has sort of moved further to the point where uh, the the government wants to have, uh, this government, I think they want to have all sorts of things in trade deals uh, that, that go beyond actually uh, protection of minimum standards and commerce to things that you wouldn't think of as related to the commercial sphere at all. So, so where these become kind of broad-based agreements of countries committing to behave in certain ways and do certain things in terms of of, of values. And we saw some of that, I think, in CUSMA, right? So do you agree that there's this kind of trajectory and what do you make of i guess they call it a yeah. progressive trade agenda yeah. that's how they how they yeah brand
0: it. i i don't want to even call it a progressive trade agenda this really is the prime minister trying to put his ideological approach on every single issue uh into trade agreements and what he's had is a remarkable lack of success in doing that so these kinds of things like pricing carbon they would have gone with that uh, when they negotiated kusma with the united states and the united states would have said there's there's absolutely no right.
1: chance we're going to do that because so, the U.S. you know Democratic president uh, their approach to to climate change does not include uh, the the kind of consumer consumer carbon price that we have or carbon tax that we have in Canada.
0: That's correct, and they've actually got a better record of reducing emissions than Justin Trudeau does with his carbon tax here. So. This kind of um, ideological approach to trade is actually putting Canada at a significant trade disadvantage because when you look at a trade agreement, you're always asking for things and therefore they're going to ask. It's ask and give. That's how these negotiations take place. And when you're asking to embed your ideological view on issues within a trade agreement, there's going to be a, compensa- a compensatory request from the other side. And that's, that's incredibly challenging. And What's interesting, what's going to be interesting to see is this. So as they're asking for a carbon tax to be put into a trade agreement with Ukraine, Canada right now is actually uh, in the process of negotiating a trade agreement uh, with Indonesia. They're in the process of trying to negotiate a trade agreement with the ASEAN bloc. And I can tell you this, there is zero chance that there's going to be a carbon tax in any of those agreements because they're just not going to put up with it. So this uh, putting that in a trade agreement with a country that's in the middle of a war, as one of your asks, right? Let's, let's be clear. Uh, Ukraine wouldn't be saying, can we please have a carbon tax right. in our trade agreement? Right. This was Justin Trudeau trying to project his ideology through a trade agreement and it's troubling. So I want to contrast that with. What could have been in a trade agreement? Because I think you look at both what they put in that I think is actually harmful, and what they didn't put in that would have been helpful.
1: Yeah. So actually, can I can we pause there because I want to come back to that what what could have been in this this agreement? Um, but I I, I want to just probe like your description of how the conversation happens in trade negotiations. So you're explaining it as Canada comes in and says, "Okay, we want to have this ideological uh, language or language related to." policy issues that, that really doesn't fit or belong in a trade deal. We want to have that in there for, for our own reasons. And then the other the other side says, well, okay, if, if, if that's going to happen, then you have to give us something on the sort of concrete economic side. So it kind of begs the question, why, why would they do this? So maybe it's domestic politics. But I guess the concern I have is that if you have a binding trade deal where they try to get Uh, commitments around things like a carbon tax, is that their way of trying to bind a future government so that that effectively when a new government takes office in Canada, our our signatures on a trade deal that says we're committed to certain things in the context of of a carbon tax, for example, uh, that we've actually run and been elected on opposing?
0: Well, I want to break down what you say on two ways. So first of all, in a trade agreement, when you've been going around the world projecting that you want all these value propositions in trade. So trade's not just about trade anymore. Trade from Canada is trade about values as well. And we're going to project our values uh, onto your country through a trade agreement. We're dealing with high level, sophisticated negotiators, right? Some of the top negotiators in the world. So if I know you're going to come to me, in a trade agreement let's just make up a country i'm country a your country b well you're canada mm. i'm country b i know you're going to come to me with these v- demands of values uh being embedded in a trade agreement so right away what am i going to say even if i agree with those things what am i going to say i'm going to say oh absolutely not we're not putting those into a trade agreement there's no chance we're going to do that So then I'm going to demand a concession from you in order to put these things in. So actually what we're doing, as far as I'm concerned, is we're putting Canada at a trade disadvantage just with respect to the negotiations. But yes, what they're actually saying, what the trade minister is saying, is this is their new template for trade. The new template for trade is going to include a carbon tax. So if you want to have trade with Canada you now have to be in favor of a carbon tax, which is, you know, it's pretty shocking to me. Uh, Canadians do not like the carbon tax. They're, you know, almost universally now opposed to it. And yet we're saying to other countries, if you want to trade with us, you also have to agree that a carbon tax should be part of that discussion. And I think it's a, I think it's a really big problem.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's really interesting and really important. Uh, in terms of Canada's interests and in terms of what it says about the kind of trade negotiations we're going to be in as long as this government's in power. Uh, I'd like to drill down specifically on Ukraine uh, and and the significance of this being in a trade deal with Ukraine. Um, so it's a it's critical time for Ukraine. And I think it's fairly obvious that the priorities Ukraine would have brought to the table would not have been, um, uh, the carbon tax or, or any of these other things. Ukraine, uh, is thinking about, about winning the war against these, these brutal invaders, uh, and, and also thinking about rebuilding, uh, about the, the economic circumstances and conditions, uh, that will allow Ukraine to, um, uh, to, to, well, the process of rebuilding is, is ongoing in territories that have been liberated, uh, but how to, uh, uh re- rebuild infrastructure and other things post-war, uh, but in the context of that negotiation, there are certain things that Ukraine uh, does need as well, uh, particular things. Uh, so, you know, what What do you think uh, we should have been seeking in terms of our relationship with Ukraine through this deal? And what kind of message would it have sent to Ukraine that, that the government focused on the, the issues that they focused on? So yeah, I want to talk about that, but I just want to jump back quickly to...
0: Um, is this something that Ukraine would have requested? Because I think that's that's going to be what the the liberal government is going to say. Oh no, this is what Ukraine wanted, right? So what we do then is we look at uh, trade agreements that Ukraine's recently negotiated. In fact, there are three. Uh, there's a free trade agreement with Israel. Uh, there's a free trade agreement with Turkey, uh, and there's a free trade agreement with some European countries. All of them, I I just at the moment can't can't remember. But um, and in none of those trade agreements, is there carbon pricing or a carbon tax? Hmm. So, you know, the the myth that's going to be built up by the liberals is that this is something that Ukraine wanted. Well, if they wanted that, why isn't it in any of their other trade agreements? No, this is this was a Canada ask and Ukraine wanted to get a free, you know, expand the free trade deal. So they agreed to put that in. One of the things most people don't know uh, is that Ukraine actually sits on the second-largest uh, natural gas reserves in all of Europe. Hmm. So this is pretty significant, right? Yeah. If we look at the war that's going on uh, in Ukraine right now, uh, Russia funds its war machine mostly with the sale of gas, right? That's their that's their big thing. Right. So. The development of these oil fields, which Canada has enormous expertise in natural gas and other types of, you know, oil and gas. We are one of the top countries in the world in the exploration, development, commercialization of that. So we could bring enormous expertise and aid in the development of that natural gas, which, of course, would do two things. Number one, it could be a source of natural gas to Europe to absolutely get them off uh, natural gas from uh, Russia or, in fact, from other countries that may not be, you know, may not be as friendly. Right. Uh, It would provide revenue coming into Ukraine, which they could use to help pay for things as they as they go through the war. So. This would have been an incredible opportunity for Canada to do something really good. Good for Canada, right? Because we would, you know, be part of that. We'd be involved in this, the investment and the development and all that. Good for Ukraine for all those various reasons. Good for Europe, bad for Russia. So to me, this was a no-brainer. Right. But guess what? It's not in there. So why is it not in there? Because we go back to the Justin Trudeau's ideological approach to trade. Mm-hmm. Gas bad, carbon tax good. So even when it's really this is black and white, the development of the natural gas reserves in Ukraine is a win on every single level. Because many countries in Europe still use coal uh to uh to generate electricity, including Ukraine. 30% of Ukrainian electricity is coal. Natural gas would be much better. So on an environmental side, it's a win. On a uh, defeating Putin, it's a win. On good for Ukraine, it's a win. But it's not in there because this is a prime minister who is ideologically opposed to oil and gas, even when it's so clear that it's a good thing.
1: Right. So in the discussion that we're having and and we're going to continue having in Parliament about Ukraine free trade, it sounds actually that this is another issue in which the the core domestic philosophical disagreement about carbon taxes and about Canadian energy uh, is going to be the basis of a a dividing line here. Uh, Conservatives and liberals would both support a free trade deal with Ukraine, but the kind of deal that a conservative government would negotiate with Ukraine would be reflective of our of our convictions around energy security and and the and the the important role that energy development needs to play, and uh, the the kind of deal the liberals have negotiated, is uh, is around uh, you know in, includes elements of their domestic agenda around a, a, a carbon tax, um, so that's that that's kind of the underlying conversation that's happening here, um, and and that and that's really interesting, I think because. On the face of it, it's not what you'd expect when you see what, what the title of the bill is or the title of the concept is. That's right. And and when you hear what – so the
0: the trade minister was at, at committee uh, yesterday mm-hmm. and uh, gave an opening statement calling for unity, uh, then attacked conservatives for criticizing aspects of the deal, right? So the sort of typical, um, I don't know, two-faced uh, way of dealing with this. If they actually wanted to create a, a united front on this, where all parties, you know, everyone would be really in agreement, right? Well, at least the two main serious parties in Parliament, um, you would have looked at things like not putting in a carbon tax and putting in something, like I said, which is on LNG development. But you also mentioned something else, which is one of the things I'm going to talk to as well, energy security, i know lng development is one thing but energy security is a whole different thing and where's that in this trade agreement you know ukraine has lost 50 percent of its electrical generating capacity throughout the war so energy security is a huge problem and in fact um they're having financial challenges importing the gas they need to heat their homes in the winter right because You know, they're in a, in a difficult financial situation as well. So energy security actually is a huge issue that is not really being talked about. But I looked at the trade deal and, you know, I'm one person. They have an entire minister's department. They have an entire government apparatus. And no one said, why is energy security not included in this trade deal? Well, again, why? Because of their pure stubborn ideological position when it comes to trade. So when you look at energy security, why aren't we partnering on nuclear? Mm-hmm. You know, Ukraine's actually you know very good at nuclear. We're now on the cutting edge in SMRs, uh, and we've got this amazing supply of uranium. To me, this is also a no-brainer. Why is right. it not in the trade deal? They they didn't put that in, but thought they should put in a carbon tax. It to me, it's really sort of, it's it, it's it's stunning. It's yeah. stunning in in the incompetent way they've negotiated this deal.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think one of the challenging dynamics around the trade deal as they presented is that uh, signaling support for Ukraine right now. Uh, for those of us who, who, who believe that supporting Ukraine, supporting Ukrainian victory is important, signaling that support uh, in every way possible is... is um, you know, it's it's a valuable thing to be able to do. Um, the the liberals are maybe in a way trying to exploit that situation by trying to attach domestic politics ideology uh, to this. Uh, how how can we um, how can we get beyond the inevitably the 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 maligning soundbite that you've mentioned they put out already. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of this this old joke in politics, right? That people say uh, we need to stop being divisive, and my opponents are are being divisive, and I'm not, right? <laughs> which which is an yeah. inherently divisive comment, right? Yeah. Um, so so, you know, do you, do you <laughs> think this is a message that can be communicated in the present context, where where it is important for us to show support for, for Ukraine and and support them in the pursuit of victory?
0: Look, I think I think criticizing a trade deal. Um, a trade deal that in my mind uh, could have been significantly better is not saying that you don't uh, support Ukraine. In fact, I think what we're doing is the exact opposite. What we're doing is we're signaling to the Ukrainian government that uh, when there's a common sense conservative government, we would like to renegotiate this deal to include things that would be very good for Canada, again, LNG, Very good for Ukraine, very good for Europe. We would also want to engage on the energy security aspect of it to, again, helpful to Ukraine, but helpful for Canadian business and industry because that's going to be an opportunity for them. We would want to pursue these win-win situations that this government is just so pig-headedly, ideologically opposed to. So you can separate criticism of a government that's done a bad job on a trade deal from actually supporting ukraine which of course i do i know you do and i know all of our conservative uh, caucus members do as well
1: right yeah it's, it's i mean it's, it's the role of opposition a loyal opposition is to is to uh opposition is an act of loyalty to challenge, challenge uh government decisions um so, sometimes out of a commitment to uh shared stated values but that the government isn't actually follow, following through on effectively um i, I just throw in that um we have had policy disagreements on how to support Ukraine before. In fact, we've been very critical of the government for granting exemptions uh, to uh, to sanctions to allow the export of turbines that were used That's to right. facilitate the Russian export of gas. We, we called at the beginning for visa-free travel for, uh, for Ukraine to be able to come to Canada. The government uh, voted against that and, and refused to implement that. Uh, we called for the listing of Wagner as a terrorist organization, and the government refused to implement that. So... You know, there there have been cases where we've put forward proposals to support Ukraine that the government has has rejected on the basis of having having uh, other reasons. So, uh, and and yeah. and when we do those things, we didn't say you know you're
0: you know you're you're serving uh, serving the Russian war machine or things like that, right? Because we do fair criticism.
1: I think that that wasn't their intention. The, the effect of allowing a, an exemption to um uh to Sanctions permit was was that it, um, maybe it it undermined Western sanctions yep. sanctions unity, and at the end of the day that that was that was a much more important issue. The Wagner issue is a much more important issue than Sorry. than the difference between version one and version two of uh, of the free trade deal.
0: I, I want to point out just one interesting thing that that uh, happened at committee. So another aspect of the deal is they put in this section saying um, that people who pollute uh, should pay the cost of that pollution mm-hmm. so I very frankly asked the minister you know does the minister consider uh, carbon emissions pollution right she said I, I don't know okay. I, so <laughs> I, I, this is it's it's her trade agreement right right she put that in they go around every day saying carbon emissions are pollution. And then I ask her, "Does that what she means in the trade agreement? And she says, well, I, I don't know what you mean. I don't know. When again, we go back to the fact that 60% of Ukrainian electricity is generated with either coal uh, or gas. They're about to go into winter. People are going to try and heat their homes. So the, that section of the trade agreement is saying the poor person trying to heat their home in the winter in the middle of a war is a polluter right. and should pay for that it's the the stuff they put in here is so yeah. is so irresponsible that it's it's really hard to not criticize it
1: yeah, yeah. we we live in such a soundbite driven age and and what i really appreciate about this conversation is that you're you're digging under that soundbite and you're saying when when we're voting on legislation we have to understand what that legislation is and the implications of it uh so often my impression is that there's there's sort of a pressure to take a position based on um, like a, a very kind of superficial top line. Like, doesn't this sound good? How can you be against this? Um, and uh, I think you're you're doing your job as a parliamentarian. I mean, whether or not our listeners agree with the conclusions you you come to on the trade deal, uh, this is this is the job that we're all supposed to do is actually to understand the substance of what we're voting on. Uh, the the implications of it and whether it does the things that it says it will do. So final word to you, anything I've missed, anything I should have asked? uh, No, I would
0: just say, you know, my job is not to be a cheerleader for the government on a trade deal and say you did a great job here, there and etc. My job is to say where you failed, where you didn't do a good job, because you're right, that is the job of opposition and that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Yeah. Kyle, thanks so much for for joining us. Uh I hope uh, everyone's enjoyed this episode uh looking at both the issue of the abduction of uh Ukrainian children and then also this issue of the uh Canada Ukraine free trade agreement. Uh both issues related to Ukraine that have been before parliamentary committees uh, this week. Uh and uh as I said at the beginning, we're going to endeavor to have uh new episodes out for you every two weeks. Uh thanks so much uh again for listening. Please please leave us a review. Uh, share with friends, and uh, we'll be back again uh, in 14 days with another episode.